Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, this is chapter three <laughs> of the Paternity Chronicles, the third and final chapter, and we are, what, less than two days away from the due date? Less than two days away from the due date, that is correct, yeah. My, we were hanging out with some friends last night who kept being like, well, I guess, yeah, New Year's Eve, you guys will be at the hospital, right? And I was like, the dude, he's not arriving <laughs> That is not on how it works. The, like, that's not how it works. Like, he's he's on his own time. He's on his own clock. We are at his his whim and his mercy. But yes, this is... Part three of the Paternity Chronicles. You know, we've sometimes before, you know, if I'm like going out of town or Ben's got a band thing, we'll record, you know, earlier in the week. Sometimes I think we've done an episode in advance or something, certainly when we were doing the bonus monthly episodes, but never, never this far out. This is this is new territory for us. I know you're abandoning me for three weeks. I'm going to have no one to talk to on Sundays. <laughs> yeah, Ben will just be sitting there waiting for, uh, for the Zoom call to start at 10 a.m. and I'm not going to be there. I'll have Twitch chat to keep me company. The best uh, I friends. Feel, I feel bad for you. <laughs> <laughs> we were uh, chatting a little bit about our show notes today. So this was uh, an episode which is going to sound like it was my idea. It was not. This was Ben's idea. Ben's very sweet, very cool idea to do a sort of MTG life lessons, like things we've learned from magic that also apply to life and how they apply to life. As sort of like, a, as, as I was telling my friends about this, uh, it's like a message in a bottle kind of episode, right? It's like something we're sort of like throwing out to sea and maybe my son will listen to in like 10 years. I don't know. Will we still even have an RSS feed in 10 years for him to download this? Oh, we will definitely have an RSS feed. I hope the podcast is still going strong. I don't know. I, we'll be I do what, too. 45. That is wild. <laughs> I know, right? I'm just like, am I? That's what, I, what I've been asking myself. Like once I like pursuing this career, I'm like, Am I going to be doing like an MTG podcast when I'm 50? Probably not. But I guess <laughs> maybe. Like, Possible. I don't know. Like, when I think about what I do currently, which will be a nice segue into our, our Patreon shout out here in a second. But when I think about what I do currently as a content creator, you know, you think about, well, what do you want to do like five years from now? I'm like, well, but like five years or 10 years ago, what I do now didn't exist. Well, and wasn't even on your radar as something you thought you might do or wanted to do. <laughs> Correct, right? So it's very hard to think of, like, you know, you you try and, because that's the conventional wisdom, you try and think about planning for the future, or what does my life look like in five or 10 years, but that's so hard for me to wrap my head around or so, so hard for me to conceptualize because I'm like, yeah, but what where I am now was not something that I would have thought to do or would have thought was possible to do or would have thought that I would have wanted to do. So who knows, you know? For sure. And I think I'm jealous of you in a way in that like you made the leap to full time content creation. And I was not quite brave enough to do that. <laughs> I wanted to keep the safety net of teaching. And you know, you go to college, you get a nine to five job. Well, teaching is not really nine mm -hmm. to five. It's more like oh, gosh. Eight, eight to nine eight to eight. PM and then yeah. sat all day Saturday and sometimes on Sundays too. <laughs> that's that's banned though more than teaching. But yeah, I, I admire your willingness to take the leap and just to do this and then not know what's coming too. It's awesome. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, and I think it's a lot easier for me. Like I wasn't leaving a full-time job behind ever. You know, my life post-college at the life of an actor, as we'll talk about a little bit later in the episode, um, is a piecemeal life. You know, right? you have you have your side hustles, you have your things that put food on the table, but those are like means to an end that you eventually leave so you can go do a theater gig for six weeks, eight weeks, a few months, whatever. And then you come back and do you start over? Or do you pick up? That's why like restaurant jobs are so appealing, et cetera, because you can, you know, often leave and come back to them. And having remote jobs is appealing. And then all of a sudden, your remote job is your full-time job and you can do it from <laughs> wherever you want. But then you're like, wait, but I actually really like doing just this. I don't know if I really want to be doing acting anymore. I get to like decide when I want to be creative and I have complete control over my life and my schedule and my work, et cetera. So yeah, it's a, it's, it's just a, a different journey, but I'm happy to be on the journey with you, my friend. Yeah, and all of our fine listeners here. A great transition to shouting out a few housekeeping things before we dive into this awesome episode. Let's chat about the Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. You know, talking about all the sweet things that the Patreon has to offer, the Discord is a great resource for folks as we're, I, I think, when this episode is out, we're at the tail end of the Arena Decathlon event, and I guess the Decathlon finals will be next weekend, um, if I'm if I'm thinking about this calendar correctly. And then, of course, Phyrexia All Will Be One is around the corner, and those are all great times to be in the Lords of Limited Discord, and then some great perks as you move up the reward tiers. But I just want to specifically shout out, and really from the very bottom of my heart, 
give a huge thank you to our patrons. I am a content creator who gets to have a paid paternity leave. Can we just wrap our heads around that for a second? And that is possible because of the Patreon, right? I'm able to do that. And also my son is, you know, being very generous and kind in his arrival here of like, he timed <laughs> out perfectly. If the, you know, if, if bro had just come out a, a week ago, we would not be able to do this, right? You'd sort of just be on your own because we really want to make sure that our content is up to date in the first month of a, a format, you know, getting all that sort of finger on the pulse of what's going on. And that wouldn't be possible week to week to do in advance. But we are able to do that now. We're able to sort of stockpile a little bit before Phyrexia comes out. And I just am, am in awe of the community that supports us, that has supported our content now for five years ago is when we started the Patreon page. And certainly never in my wildest dreams from the few emails that we got of like, hey, want to support you guys? Don't see that you have a Patreon. And we were like, all right, I guess we'll start one of those. <laughs> and to where it is now is just sort of you know, an astronomical leap. And I'm, I'm yeah, just so incredibly thankful and grateful for the community that supports our show. Yeah. Can't top anything that heartfelt. So I'm going to stick with my cannot <laughs> say thank you enough. Cheers to that. Show is also brought to you by TCG Player, tcgplayer.com. Best place to go for anything and everything you need magic related. We're shouting out the TCG Player subscription, which is $6.99 a month. You get a bunch of stuff for your seven bucks a month. It's free shipping and tracking on all your orders. So you should definitely be doing it if you're ordering cards from TCG Player. And if you're listening to this podcast, you should be ordering cards from TCG Player. You also get store credit back on purchases as well as access to all of the CFB Pro articles and videos that go up each and every week. So if you're not doing that, uh, Ethan, Alex, I all write articles, a bunch of pros. It is excellent, excellent content, well worth your seven bucks a month. And it's a no brainer if you're ordering cards or doing anything over at TCG Player. So when you spend money there, please take the time to use our affiliate link. And whether you get there by going to lordsoflimited.com slash TCG Player or just checking our website out, lordsoflimited.com. There's a bunch of tier lists there. You can go to links to merch that you can get on our website. And while you're there, you can also go to the support tab and there's a TCG Player link there that will redirect you to our affiliate link. So anytime that you're doing anything on tcgplayer.com, please make sure you're doing it through our affiliate link. Just, you know, you think of the two websites in conversation with each other. When you think TCG player, <laughs> think lordsoflimited.com first, you know, that's safety first, you know? That's right. We need a little jingle. Lordsoflimited.com. Okay. You write it. I'll sing it and produce it. <laughs> so we don't subject our listeners ears to that anymore. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just saying like, you're, we have a musician on hand. We have a musician on staff. Let's get that jingle. The people want it. Episode 400 is our musical episode, right? That's right. <laughs> we'll keep pushing it back every 100 episodes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, Ben. So you actually came to me with this idea, and then I forgot about it. And you were like, oh, did you hate that idea? Do you not want to <laughs> do that? I was really worried. Because <laughs> it was like kind of an avant-garde episode idea. I Yeah, I wanted to do this MTG Life Lessons, kind of a making your uh, luck 2.0 type episode, but just something that we could record that if your kid gets into MTG, we could come back and they could listen to, which would be super awesome. Yeah, and I think, you know, we cite making your own luck a lot. That's episode 23. If you haven't listened to that, I think it's worth going back to. It's one of the episodes I'm most proud of, specifically in how early it came in the lifetime of our show. Like, I think we sort of struck gold a little bit, a topic that both of us felt passionately about, but also came to from very different angles. I had no idea the amount of knowledge and experience you had with like sort of like, I don't know, self-help the right category of books to use. I think so. That's the that's the header in Barnes and Noble. When you're <laughs> when you're looking for them, they're in the self-help category. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So I just like I think that episode is a really awesome resource and touches on a lot of the things we're going to touch on today, but I think a different spin rather than like thinking about how you can make your own luck in a game of MTG, we're sort of doing a little twist of thinking about the life lessons that MTG teaches you that you can apply in life and slash, I think maybe some reverse paths as well. Some things that life teaches you that you can apply to MTG. But I think that's the conversation we're trying to have here. So we have a list of about 10 items to run through. Any any thoughts before we dive into this list? Yeah, I was saying before we sat down to record, our show notes are a little open-ended <laughs> here. And I think our show notes have gone on a journey through the show. Like they started started out a little sparse initially like this, you know, a page or two, very modest. And then there was a point where, you know, around the hundreds that we had six, seven, eight, nine pages of show notes sometimes. And now we're we're going back down the other side of the hill. I think we're getting back to our roots where you and I just get a chat a little more. And I, I like it. That's so interesting. That is not my memory of our roots. My memory of our roots <laughs> is, is very detailed outline show notes to the point of we would write a B and an E 
next to the like top is like, okay, you're going to talk about this. <laughs> then I'm going to talk about this. I don't remember it being sparse at the beginning. Well, that was like the first four or five when we were still complete strangers. And then <laughs> yeah. I think like after that, they were still like modestly sized, but we didn't have talking point things. Yeah. yeah I, I think we talked free form a little more in the beginning. That's interesting. Yeah. I think here's what I think happened. And you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, or if maybe this was, uh, you've been incepted a little bit. I think I started doing my survivor podcast and that it's like just a conversation and just a one take, no edit. And you were like, I can do that. <laughs> maybe. And now maybe and I you're do like, love your survivor podcast. <laughs> you're like, I can do that. I don't need to be so, uh, we don't need to be so heavy handed with the show notes. Let's, we can talk more. And honestly, I, I love that. Like the 50 takes episode has to be sort of, you know, very detailed. It's got to be. These are the 50 talking points we're going to have. But even the episode before, so fun to get to come to the best worst of 2022 limited episode with like, I have no idea what he's going to say and get to respond, you know, in the moment to the things that you're bringing to the table. Do you know what else I think happened? I think you incepted me with you're outlining because my outlines initially were so <laughs> haphazard, like just wild. Like my outlining version is just train of thought, no bullet points, no nothing. And Ethan is very like Google Doc Pro, like numbered outline. And then you hit tab and then there's A and then there's the sub bullet points to the bullet points. And I think you incepted me with outlining and I really liked it once I started doing it. And then I think that's when our show notes started exploding. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we would, we would write little paragraphs that we'd have to say, but now we're, we're a little more freeform. Okay, so let's get into this list of items of things that MTG can teach you that you can apply to life. Number one, I'm going to have to give to you. It's got your patented phrase here. It does. Don't have a why me attitude or thinking that the world is out to get you or thinking that MTG is out to get you. So just the concept that complaining without looking for solutions or ways you could have made different decisions, maybe in a game of magic or in life to put yourself in a better spot is just not helpful. And honestly, I have been really bad about this in Magic mm. lately, like just atrocious. Sometimes it's me-me, but it has been genuine lately. And I kind of realized that when I put it down on paper in these show notes, and I have got to stop. <laughs> just got to stop. Yeah, I do often wonder about it, about the meme factor of it. I'm like, is he trying to make this like kind of his stream brand a little bit sometimes? Because I do think there is... There is an entertainment aspect to it where like it is kind of fun to see Ben tilt off because like <laughs> no one tilts quite like you. Like he doesn't get salty. He sort of throws like little like five-year-old tantrums a little bit or like, you know, just like the face, the, the palms down his face as he pulls his skin and is like, no, <laughs> you know, but like it's a fine line to toe between that entertainment factor to just like, oh, but this is actually how I feel, you know? Yeah, it's a fine line. And I have crossed to the other side of the line in the last year. I think honestly, HBG is where it started to happen. Mm. It just kind of went downhill from there. I don't know if I feel entitled to win because we have this podcast and I think I'm good at magic or what, but I've been a salty sea dog lately and I have got to stop. But it's funny, the inverse of that, I, I kind of do this in <laughs> real life too. <laughs> But not nearly as much. I handle it way better in real life than I do in magic because I know handling it better matters more in real life. That phrase of like feeling entitled to win, I think is important. And it reminds me of a, a point that I kind of wanted to put in the show notes and I didn't quite know where to throw it in. And this might be a good spot to chat about it is so I was playing in the um, arena PTQ a few weeks ago. You know, I went seven one on day one and then day two of my sealed pool and it was, you know, fine. Nothing. It was certainly worse than my first one and had some options between like a mediocre red black deck or a mediocre white green deck. Played the white green deck, went one, two, just, you know, whatever. Not Nothing super important happened. And uh, I was streaming it to my Discord and our friend from Mystical Dispute, 2.cubed, Carl, uh, was in there watching. And then when I you know lost and went one, two, I signed off and uh, I lost in a pretty spectacular fashion. My opponent cast sibling rivalry on my precursor golem stealing all three golems and my cradle clear cutter, making an attack that I had made last turn very bad. Like I would have been able to maybe block had I not tried to like push the advantage. But of course, how was I supposed to know? Um, another point that we'll, we'll look at later of like making the best decisions with the information you have. And 
all I could do was laugh. I was just like, wow, this is, this is like the, cla- <laughs> like, this is a, the way to lose this game is just like sibling rivalry, four of my things. They make four power stones and attack me for lethal, whatever I'm done. And then I was in that stream and that was very much a joker laugh. It was not a normal laugh. It was a little sadistic. No, sure. <laughs> but, but that is like a coping thing that I've done is like, I do. Yeah. It's a little bit of a joker laugh, but it is at least, it does help. It's like a weird thing that does help me not tilt. Is just like trying to laugh it off or like trying to like, even though I'm streaming to like whatever, a half dozen people, just if I'm streaming, like I try and remember no one wants to watch you tilt, like don't do it. And it just like makes me worse at streaming, makes me less fun, makes me less chatty, etc. Um, anyway, so Carl was in that stream and then he messaged me, uh, DM'd me a frowny face. And I was like, truly, like, I'm not sad at all. Like, I'm fine. Like, if sure, if I was like 6-1 and then lost in that way, maybe I'd feel salty. But like, I have the rest of the day ahead of me. And I was like, I also don't, I go into these things, I don't expect to win. Like, I did not go into day two thinking, man, I've really got a shot to make the PT. Like, it, I, I recognize that I have such a small chance. And it's not saying I expect to lose. I think the diff- there is a big difference in my head between expecting to lose and expecting not to win or not expecting to win is what I mean to say. And I think that perception can can help in life of just like not feeling like things are owed to you. I definitely got into, this is another, sorry, I'm going down deeper rabbit hole, but I think that's sort of the point of uh, of this episode a little bit. I remember in college, so I, I got my undergrad degree, uh, I got a BFA in acting. And I remember sophomore year of college, one of my professors saying to me, there is a difference between being a good student and being a good actor. And I don't think I understood what that meant. It like made me kind of mad in the moment. I was like, I don't really get like, what do you mean? Like we get grades here. Like I want to get good grades. Right. And I think what he was trying to instill in me is like, you should like, there's more than just like pleasing the teacher. Like there's a, like a greater pursuit here. There's a greater sense of taking risks that you need to have as an actor that like the classroom isn't really going to teach you. And so like, don't equate like, you know, you show up on time all the time, whatever, like prompting these are good things to have, but they don't necessarily mean being a good student doesn't necessarily mean you're a good actor. And I don't think he was also saying I was a bad actor in any sense, but like that, that there was, that's an important distinction to make. And I think I felt I was like, I've done all the right things in school, right? I've gotten good grades. I show up on time. And like, that means I should deserve a certain outcome in life. Right. I should deserve a certain uh, I'm going to then be able to have this this paved path for me or this clear path to being a professional actor. It didn't work out that way and whatever. I'm like very happy with the life that I have and the life that I've had and the acting experiences that I've had. But I think a mental shift of like, you're not owed anything. Life is random, right? And like things are going to come your way or they're not going to come your, your way. And how you react to that is often more important than the things themselves. Way more important. And it's so easy to say that. That's the thing. Like, I know. It's so easy to verbalize, but it's hard to, one, understand, like, really what you were talking about, like what your college professor is trying to tell you. It's just hard to grasp the actual concept. And then two, putting it into practice and actually not feeling entitled in real mm-hmm. life, especially if you have done a lot of the right things and you've made good decisions and you've done what you're supposed to do in school and you've put yourself, you know, you, you've done the resume and you have a resume like mm-hmm. that doesn't mean you're going to get hired for a certain job. It's no. totally random. And I think one of the best things you can do is not feel entitled, but it's difficult to do. And I do think magic hammers that home over and over and over. Right. There's variance in magic and you just don't keep playing magic if you can't handle the variance. And I'm I'm coming closer to that. I was coming stop. a little closer to that this year. I mean, not <laughs> stopping playing magic, but I was genuinely enjoying magic less because of how much I was letting that get to me. Yeah. I and mean, I think it's important to keep that in perspective. All right. We're going to take a quick ad break and we'll be back with point number two. If saving money and spending less is one of your top goals for 2023, why are you still paying insane amounts of money every month for your phone bill? Switching to Mint Mobile is the easiest way to save this year. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order from the home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just $15 a month. Reading through the terms and fees of a phone plan can feel like looking at all six sides of a specialized card from Alchemy Horizons. (laughs) That's why Mint Mobile makes everything cheap and easy. 
By going online only and eliminating the traditional costs of retail, Mint Mobile passes significant savings on to you. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com LOL. That's mintmobile.com LOL. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com LOL. And now, back to the show. All right, number two, magic teaches you critical thinking skills. Like, full stop, and we're, this is going to be something we come back to over and over in this episode, but there's a lot of stuff to unpack here in just this one point of critical thinking. The first is evaluating complex decision trees, right? Thinking ahead multiple turns about how the game will develop. I have a little anecdote here about like trying to think about like the kind of mortgage loan we wanted when we were buying our house. 30-year fixed rate, baby. <laughs> yeah, right. 30-year fixed rate. Let's get it, uh, get it as low as possible. But I do remember when we were thinking about, okay, how much are we going to put down or whatever? And I'm not going to use specific numbers here. But like, I remember thinking about like weighing the options of, look, I understand in my head that like paying whatever, $10,000 now is less money over time. But the $10,000 means so much more to me now than like the idea of our monthly mortgage payment being $1,000 versus like $1,030, you know, that is a difference that is so negligible to me. And so even though that's probably technically more money over time, this amount of money right now means more. And so like thinking about those two paths of like, okay, so these are our two options. These are the two things we can do. I understand in my head, like one is less than the other, but like understanding that money doesn't have this sort of like static, uh, stagnant value for me. It's like this lump sum actually is worth more to me now than this like slight difference over time, you know? Tempo, baby. That's tempo mortgage payments for you, baby. <laughs> but seriously, I do think that's that's real. It was kind of a joke. But so many people just don't know how to think critically. Like yes. the more I teach, kids just don't. And it's hard, you know, those stupid assignments you had to do when you're in school where you have to like write down a reflection. And I was always like, why do we have to write this down? Like I reflect about every decision I make naturally. Like it's, but some people don't and they're trying to teach you how to do that. And I think it's a difficult concept to teach and magic just kind of intrinsically forces you to do it if you're going to be successful at the game. Yeah, for sure. There's other stuff that magic forces you to do, which is counterfactual thinking. I guess it doesn't force you to do this, but it's such a, a natural part of what goes on in a game of magic, which is, you know, you've made one decision, like thinking about what if you have that fork in the road, and maybe you decided to put the $10,000 down on your mortgage, or maybe you decided not to, you know, you're down the road two years, if I had done the other thing, right, would it have been better so that in the future, when you face a similar decision, you have more knowledge when you come back to the table? Yeah, for sure. That's so, so, so important. Because I think it's so much easier. I have this point a little later, but I'll make it now is that it's so much easier in magic to, I think, wrap your head around that because you have so many chances to learn from those decisions. But like, I mean, I, you know, I'll probably buy another house in my lifetime, like sell this house and, and buy another one, probably. And so I might have another shot to have that information, but I'll be coming at it from such a different point in my life, right? There'll be just so many other variables that it might as well be a totally new scenario. Whereas in magic, you can get, you know, there's play patterns, there's situations. You, there's so many times where on turn two, you have your removal spell, your opponent has their three one, and you go, okay, if I, I know I don't want to fire this off because this is such a good removal spell, I could use it for something bigger later. But if I don't deal with this thing now, am I signing up to take six points of damage, nine points of damage? That's the decision tree, right? What's worth more? Like before I stabilize with a four five and play to block this thing, I either am going to take nine damage from it or I'm going to kill it now. What's more important? You have enough times where that situation is going to come up where you can learn from it in life. That's not always the case, you know? Right. Well, and I think just the tail end of what you said there, where you're you're evaluating what is more important or what is most important. Like, I find that that's something I'm very good at in real life, almost to the point of unhealthiness sometimes because of MTG. I, I like I'm constantly dialing in on what matters. I, I'm, I'm just wired that way naturally. But the amount of magic playing I have done, I think, has pushed it to another level for sure. Do you have an example of like, you say you do it to an unhealthy degree? Are you thinking of something specific there? Yeah, I was. <laughs> I, <never, laughs> 
you know me too well. (laughs) (laughs) Just sounded too specific to not be anecdotal. I think one of the things that I have to constantly remind myself as an educator, I have a tendency to evaluate kids, especially in band, like, you know, band directors do this in general, like they'll say, you know, I've, I've got this awesome trumpet player, or, you know, I've got this clarinet player that could be really good. I have a tendency to, first of all, do this too soon to kids, but evaluate very early on what I think their potential is almost like they're a magic card, like this kid's, you know, this kid's going to be an A or this kid, mm, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get them to like an average band member or whatever. And first of all, I do it too young, but because kids change, right? Like they grow up, they have different motivation levels and ultimately getting good just boils down to do you want to put time and effort and energy into this thing? I mean, there's some there's some natural stuff there too, you know, your natural affinity for music or whatever. But I, I have to constantly remind myself that I am teaching people's kids. <laughs> These are kids and humans and like that, that aspect of it as well and not just go full MTG analysis on them. Yeah, that's so interesting, like having to bring some emotion to bear in that problem solving because it can be you can be so removed from it in a very analytical way. Well, and not that I don't whatever take. I mean, I no, know they're course, I know they're course. kids. Yeah, I'm not yeah, like yeah, yeah. Going full Ben S on my students. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean that in the nicest way possible. Um, but just I have a tendency to occasionally forget that. Yeah, for sure. The last point we have here is about solving puzzles and problems. Like you know, just as simple as I need to deal with my opponent's bomb creature. What are the ways I can maximize my chances of doing that? You know, does that mean that I need to end the game super fast? I need to sideboard differently. Whatever. Like, there's so many times that you're faced with things like this. Like, I'm gonna die in two turns. Can I find lethal before then? Ooh, I don't. I don't consider that option very much. I'm usually like, how do I not die? Yeah, for sure. I, I just like the the past whatever two weeks of playing the arena cube and playing this black sacrifice deck so often. I have gotten my opponent to exactsies so many times, and that's certainly the style of deck lends itself to those kinds of games. But you know, I, I've definitely upped that in the past whatever maybe two years of Magic playing. Like, really tried to focus on not missing lethal. That was something I did a lot. And it, you know, usually doesn't bite you in the butt. Usually games are are not often won in those like slim margins, but when they are, those are the worst feelings. And so I think just like hammering that home in magic helps you hammer that home in life. Well, and again, this is problem solving skills. Some people just don't know how to do that. They won't Google a thing to try to figure it yeah. out or, you know, just helping themselves. And you're constantly presented with complex problems problems over and over and over. I do this in teaching all the time with kids too. I need to get this kid to understand X. And then how can I do that? And I've got a few standard ways that I normally do it. And then if those don't work, we're going off the rails until I figure out how to get this kid to understand something. Like I was just teaching the other day, the student, the difference between three, four and six, eight. So like in three, there's six eighth notes in both of those time signatures, but they're grouped differently. Like in three groups of two in three, four and two groups of three in six, eight. So I'm like drawing pizza pies. I'm like, doing. (laughs) we're going whole nine yards. and This kid still wasn't getting it. So eventually, like I got him out in the hallway and we're like marching around and I'm counting to six, like so that they can feel it in their body. And I still wasn't successful. And I'm still racking my brain about how I can get get this kid to understand the difference between those two things. That's so funny. Like you're having to employ problem solving skills in teaching the student to solve a problem. Yeah. For sure. Definitely. There's a lot of problem solving and teaching. Oh, yeah. All right. We're moving on to our next point, which is understanding how odds work. So prior to MTG, I had no idea how a hypergeometric calculator worked. I know Mm -hmm. that now. I was barely understanding, you know, like permutations and combinations when we did that in pre-calculus or whatever Mm. in high school. And I feel fairly confident in my basic rudimentary understanding of odds and percentages and how you go in on that in a game of MTG now. And I think it really teaches you how to increase your odds and how to make the right decisions using odds. And obviously, it's very different from MTG to real life, right? Because MTG, the worst outcome is you lose. And real life, there are terrible consequences that you could face, like losing your home or whatever, you know, if you go all in with a certain amount of money. So there's definitely risk tolerance there as well. But just knowing about all that stuff is so eye opening. I did write in our notes, I was like, I don't really know how understanding probability and percentages and odds helps you in life. But I am so glad that I do. Like, I just I love having a very 
concrete understanding of those concepts. But here is an example that I, I just came up with. So yesterday, my wife and I went to the doctor's. Um, it's like our you know last appointment before her due date. And then my wife is a first time mother, and sort of, certainly like okay, how like how likely is this to happen? Like, am I going to need to be induced or whatever? Like these questions. And she's looking. She is also a very smart person who understands these concepts, and she's looking for. The doctor to be like, well, it's like 40% of the time this happens or 60% of the time this happens when we got in the car. And I was like, were you satisfied with the answers? And she was like, no, I wanted like, she didn't tell me anything. <laughs> and I was like, I bet they're not allowed to give percentages because people, like most people don't understand. You tell someone 60% of the time this happens, they go, oh, so that's going to happen to me. <laughs> right? Right, they right, don't, right? They don't understand, oh, that's basically a coin flip. And so it might or it might not. Um, and so I bet there's just like so much of the world that misinterprets or misunderstands what odds or probability or percentages like that mean. And I do think it, it does help you understand, rationalize, come to terms with a lot of outcomes. Well, and so funny related to this episode. So we've been recording episodes ahead of time and mm. your kid is due on New Year's Eve. And mm -hmm. so we had planned initially this week for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then we were pushing it back Wednesdays at day to today, which is <laughs> Thursday. And I was like, well, do you think that's going to be bad? Like we're getting closer to the due date. And for whatever reason, you were just like, eh, no, first time mothers, like babies usually a little later. And if it does, like it does, we'll figure it out. <laughs> and I, I think I would be in full panic mode this close to my wife's due date if I were about Father, you're handling it very chill. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best here. All right, let's take a, a quick ad break here and we'll be back with point number four. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Nothing feels better than being locked into a game of magic. Getting that spidey sense and not attacking with your Saren Steel Seeker only to see your opponent end step and ambush paratrooper. And we all have days where we're locked into life. Waking up energetic, motivated, and positive, and having that feeling carry you all the way to getting into bed. But that's not every day. Sometimes life gets you bogged down and you may feel overwhelmed, or like you're not showing up in the way that you want to. Working with a therapist can help you get closer to the best version of you. Having an outside eye to bounce ideas off of, help hold you accountable, or problem solve with can prepare you to take on everything life throws at you. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. If you you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash lords today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash lords. And now back to the show. All right. Number four is making the best decision you can with the information you have and living with the results. This is maybe the best point on this list, I think. Like, it just is going to bring you such peace of mind in life to be able to rationalize, understand, and come to terms with the results of decisions and help you stop thinking about what if, which is so easy to do in life, you know? Yes, absolutely. And I think this is definitely a strength of mine mm -hmm. in magic mostly, but definitely in life. Like these life lessons that magic teaches you, I'm kind of mediocre sometimes at applying in magic, <laughs> but I have learned them and I know that they're way more important to apply in real life. So I make more of a conscious effort to do them in real life, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. So like, what are some specifics from magic we're talking about? Well, just mulliganing, for example, you know, you've got a seven land hand, one lander on the play. Like you have to mulligan that. And then you go to six and you've got another one lander hand and you have to go to five. It was still right to make those decisions, even though it feels bad to go to five. And maybe if you'd kept the seven lander, you'd have ripped a land off the top. You know, you still have some percentage chance of doing that, but it's not the right play to make. And maybe you lose because you mulligan. You're still supposed to make those same mulligan decisions over and over and over. Or, you know, maybe you don't have outs other than attacking into your opponent's open mana and they might have a removal spell. Even if they have the removal spell, it was still right to have made the attack with the information you had. There's so much stuff like that in magic where you just have to trust. So you put yourself in the spot and okay, I'm going to go forward with the knowledge that I've got. I was watching a certain very skilled podcast co-host on stream uh, a, a few weeks ago is this me and uh i will we'll find out in a second oh, um or is this you are you talking to the third person i said i was i, I was watching myself you're watching it no, can't be I'm you i'm talking about i'm talking about you you okay. kept a hand that your first play was scrap work cohort and i think you were just sort of like ah trust the deck whatever and then after your second land drop you were like this probably wasn't a keep <laughs> 
And I think those decisions are almost like that. Obviously, you like knew if you had taken like five more seconds and weren't streaming or weren't on like, you know, a sort of like a run of like just click and play and, and keep. And you, if you had taken the time, you probably would have been like, eh, this hand is a little too slow. I got a mulligan. But learning from those moves is almost more important than like being able to come to terms with the things where you're like, hey, this is like I made the right decision at the time. What can you do? And I'm going to be at peace with that. But understanding when you thought you made the right decision at the time, and it wasn't. How do you learn from that? How do you come to terms and be at peace with that in the sense of, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna mine that experience for all it is worth in terms of what it can teach me for being faced with future decisions? Yeah, I think approaching that from both sides of the problem is equally important. And I think taking this to real life, I think one of the things I tell my students all the time with performances is you've got to be prepared. Like, you know, we're getting ready to do this thing at the end of January, which is where my whole brain's at right now, which is called Solo and Ensemble, which is like an event where kids can sign up to play a piece of music by themselves or they can sign up to play a trio with two of their friends or whatever. And they go in a room with a, a judge, which is just another music teacher, and they get evaluated on how they play. And at the end of it, they get a gold, a silver, a bronze rating, whatever, depending on how they played. And they get feedback from the judge, you know, positive and constructive. And this is like a really traumatic experience for some kids. Like some kids have a lot of performance anxiety. I do too. Um, I still to this day, I have a master's degree in clarinet performance. And if I'm going to perform, I, I get nervous. And I always tell kids that that's just because you care that that's totally normal to get nervous. But I think one of the things you've got to do is be prepared also. So I constantly encourage students to have put forth, you know, maximum effort or close to maximum effort, because personally, I'm way less nervous if I know I've prepared the best I can, because then it's much easier to live with the results. And I think it's so easy as humans to leave yourself the out of, well, I could have tried a little harder, or well, I could have done a little bit extra. And that's why I failed, like to, to rationalize failure. And I think the, the better way to go about it is to just go all in and trust that you've done the work that you can do. And then you know, live with the results. Oh, man. I mean, I, that's so much easier for me to conceptualize than to sort of write things off like, well, if I had tried a little harder, it's like when you lose a game and you know you lost because you made a mistake. I was talking to Beers SC about this a couple weeks ago. He he was like saying, oh, I could have like, whatever, could have trophied, but I think I made like some really poor mistakes. And I was like, man, those are the things I was like, I'm not trying to get you tilted, but I was like, for myself, those are the things that tilt me the most, like when I know it was in my control. And he had the exact opposite view. He was like, that's <laughs> what? how he was like, that's how games of magic should be won. Like, I just have to, he's like, I feel like my perception is I will learn from those mistakes and I will apply them later more than my opponents. But I want games of magic to be won or lost based on decisions. He's like, I get much more tilted when like, flood or screw decides a game. And I was like, that is the exact opposite of me. I have like, I expect mana flood and mana screw to be a part of the game. That is part of what I'm signing up for when I play magic. But I, but what I'm not signing up for is to make mistakes. That's not what I want to be doing. So interesting. But I think a really, honestly, a healthy way to view things be like, it's a much more like long con way to view the games of like, I'm going to trust that I will learn from these things more than the average player. And so that puts me in an advantage. And that's how games and that's how I want games to be decided. Yeah, that is wild. I mean, I ideally, you would like games of magic to be decided on the merits of decisions, you would just like it to be you outplaying your opponent in those right. decisions, right? Right. You're kind of saying the same thing in different ways, I think. I think so too. Yeah, yeah. I think those, but I just like, I really hate that immediate feeling, that like sinking stomach feeling of like, oh, I lost that game because of me. Had I made, I mean, I guess it it, it is something you can feel in life too of like, you just immediately are presented with something where you go, man, if I had made a different decision, things would have worked out differently and for the better. Oh, yeah. It feels terrible because you feel like you weren't good enough. Exactly. That's like one of my biggest fears is not being good enough for X, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Moving on to number five, evaluating outcomes in the best case scenario and the worst case scenario. Yeah. I mean, learning how to set yourself up to end up in the best case scenario more often is so helpful. You, you have to do this when evaluating cards, right? Just in terms of putting yourself in the best position to draft the best deck and have the best 40 cards available to you when you go to your matches. Well, and I think also a level up for me, at least recently, I think there has been when evaluating cards, a tendency to poo poo aggro cards a little bit or that they don't stand on their own merits as much. Mm. But then, you know, if you also apply the next concept, which is if you're drafting aggro and you're picking aggressive cards, you're going to be in the scenario where your cards are good 
more often than not, if you've built your deck correctly and everything is pushing towards being aggressive, you know, and then you kind of get to evaluate them in that lens of, well, I am going to be in the scenario where I'm ahead a lot because I'm planning to be in that scenario and my opponents aren't. Yeah, this can come up in life in a couple ways I'm thinking of. It's making me think of the show, uh, The Rehearsal, which was on HBO. Did you watch this at all? I have not, but I listened to a podcast where they've talked about it quite a bit. So I feel like I sort of have watched it. I know the concept of the show. So there's this comedian, Nathan Fielder, who if you haven't watched it, I highly recommend this to the general population, but also to you, Ben. Watching the first episode, the, the show itself it takes a bit of a turn, but the first episode also sort of promises a different setup than the show delivers on, which I think is one of the, the checks in the pro column for the show in my mind. But the first episode is about this guy who wants to have an awkward conversation with his friend and Nathan Fielder finds him and helps him rehearse the scenario where he's going to tell his friend this, confess this thing to his friend at a bar trivia night. So he lets him rehearse this you know, an umpteenth amount of times. They build a replica of the bar. They hire a bunch <laughs> of actors to, you know, be staged there. And so they have all these decision trees of like, what are the likely things that are going to happen? What happens if she says, that's fine? What happens if the music's too loud at the bar? What happens if she like throws water in your face and runs out, whatever? Like what, how is he going to be able to be best prepared for all the scenarios? But I think I, as someone who is averse to conflict, I have to remind myself a lot of times when I'm thinking about having an awkward conversation with someone or bringing something up to someone, you know, okay, what's the literal worst thing that you think could happen? And what's the worst thing that could happen within the realm of possibilities, you know? And helping yourself like talk through that can often, for myself at least, helps me get to a point where I'm like, all right, this isn't actually going to be that bad. Like I'm afraid of something that is very unlikely or, you know, near impossible to actually happen. Yeah, but the fear is still there and getting over that fear is tough for sure. Yeah. Moving on to the next, which is learning to lose and learning to understand why you lost. And I think you lose a lot when you play Magic. I mean, everybody does, right? The best <laughs> players in the world when they're playing against the other best players in the world are winning at what? A 60% clip, maybe. I mean, if you're on Arena, you might be winning at a 65 to 70% clip, but you're still losing. That's still, still so much losing. <laughs> it's a lot of losing. And there's different types of losing, right? There's losing when it's in your control. You know, what we were talking about earlier, where you punt and then your opponent wins as a result of you punting. There's a losing when it's out of your control, when you get flooded or when you get mana hosed. And those are two different scenarios and I think different skill sets for how you accept those losses. Yeah, for sure. I think this applies, and I'm curious if this has applied to you at all in the pursuit of a career in music, but it applies to acting a lot. I mean, auditioning is about constantly putting yourself out there and dealing with rejection and learning to understand when that rejection is or is not within your control is important, is necessary for longevity in that career. You know, I think it doesn't work in acting, or at least it didn't for me, to go into an audition, come out and go, I guess I could have tried a little harder. Like you have to really put everything into it and then start to trust your gut of like, oh, that was a good audition. Or no, that was actually not a very good audition. That felt a little off. Or, you know, they seem to really like you try try and read people because sometimes people are putting on a, oh, oh, thanks so much for coming in. That was great. And that just means like you're not getting the job or like, thanks so much. That was really great. And you go, oh, I think they really meant it that time or whatever. And then, okay, you didn't get the job and sort of goes back to expecting not to win, right? When you audition for something, I think the greatest skill you can have is once you leave the room, you forget it happened. Right? You expect you're not going to get the job. Right, You expect that someone else will get it because it's just a numbers game. And then the times when you do, great. But you can't like really want every single job. It's more about, did I set myself up for success as much as possible? Did I prepare as best as possible? Did I you know, like do my research beforehand, et cetera? And I think that that is like one of, this is like the biggest point that really has felt like it has applied in the past 10 years of my life. Yes, I completely agree from my perspective as well. And I think in music, like for me, there's been two different sides of it. I mean, I've definitely done the audition circuit when I was in graduate school and I'm, I'm approaching it similar to you. In fact, I'm getting ready for an audition right now. I'm going to audition oh, wow. for the, the Evansville Philharmonic Orchestra, which is a, a local professional orchestra near me. But I am trying to give 100% of the effort I feel like I can give, which is, you know, there's time constraints, teaching, whatever. I mean, I'm doing the podcast. I also want to have a normal life where I get a stream and whatever. So within those parameters, I'm trying my hardest. And then I'm going to show up to the audition. And 
whatever happens, happens. And I mean, so much of that is out of your control once you get to that day, right? I mean, you've put in the work leading up, but maybe you biff an excerpt that day. And in music, there's a curtain. So like you're I mean, it's totally the opposite for you, right? So like I, you walk on stage and people are sitting. Do you do auditions in stages? How do you do it? Are you just in like a room? Usually in a room. Yeah. So we're on stage at wherever, you know, whatever orchestra you are, you're on stage and there's a curtain between you and the audience so that it's blind so that they can't see. And then, you know, the, the order that you're supposed to play your excerpts in. So there's like standard uh, repertoire that they pick, you know, maybe they picked five of 10 things you were supposed to prepare. And if at any point during the audition, they say, thank you, that means you're done. Like, and so you want to get to the end of all of the things you were supposed to play before they say thank you to you. Because if you only played two things and they say thank you, like, you know, you didn't get the job, right? I was going to ask, is, does thank you ever happen early? And that means Anything other than bad. Oh, yeah. Thank you is brutal. If you get if you get thank you before the end of your pieces that you were supposed to play, you're done. Like you should just leave and not wait for them to announce who's moving on to the next round. So I can remember one very specific one where I had prepared and prepared and prepared and I just I just didn't play well. And I got thank you after, you know, like two of seven things I was supposed to play. And I was just devastated, you know. But I had given everything I could give. So I was like really upset in the moment. And then, you know, fine after that, largely because I had tried as hard as I could. Um, but I think also, too, I've applied for a lot of jobs over the last 10 yeah. years. And, you know, you you prepare for an interview and ultimately it's out of your control. Like you can talk about what you can talk about. You can list what you've done on your resume and you can try to make a good impression. But it, those decisions are in other people's control. And that's something that's so refreshing about, you know, being a content creator or working with you, like it's in our control. We get to yeah. say what we want to do an episode about or in Twitch chat. Like if I decide I don't really want to deal with this person in Twitch chat anymore, I can just ban them or time them <laughs> out. Like just understanding in life what's in your control and what isn't in your control and how you handle it and how you react to it is different depending on whether you can have an effect on the outcome at that point. And this happened also recently in our New York trip, right? We took the buses to New York on the way back. One of our buses broke down and like, it just didn't bother me at all because I knew it was totally out of my control. Like we were just going to deal with it as best we could. But so many people were just like grumbling the whole way back and we're just in a bad mood because this bus had broken down, just random stuff like that. I think I handle way better than the average person because of the lessons I've taken away from MTG. Well, you probably handled it better also because you were just playing arena on your phone. Well, that too. Yeah. Just more yeah. time to draft, baby. <laughs> uh, number seven, learning how to recognize when you are tilted and how you should react to it. I mean, is, is this a concept that people like in the general population that don't play like magic or poker understand? I don't think so. But people do get tilted. They yes. just might not know that they're tilted. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a personal journey for everyone. It's definitely a personal journey for me. I feel like it's been something that I've been working on a lot and have largely mastered, whether it is just my maniacal joker laugh that helps me shake things off or whatever, or this mentality of I don't expect to win has helped me, you know, but I th that's definitely different from how I was operating four or five years ago. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I'm on a downswing right now with this. Like I'm, I've been letting myself get tilted a little bit more, but just knowing that you are tilted is so valuable. And I do think I'm good at that. Like I can say, oh, I am not <laughs> in my right mind right now. I either need to stop streaming or stop playing magic or, you know, in real life, I need to stop having this conversation with this person and like circle back a different day when I can be objective about it. Just knowing how you feel and what those feelings are and how you react to them or get yourself out of that situation or whatever is just an invaluable skill that I think, like you said, so many people just don't know or they don't have a name for it to be able to analyze it or improve uh, you know, how they react to it in real life. So we've focused on a lot of points about like in-game, nitty-gritty, strategy-based, odds-based, probability, problem-solving, critical thinking, all that stuff. But I love this next point that you have. Yeah, connecting with awesome, like-minded people in the MTG community. And this is not, I'm certain limited to MTG. I do think the magic community in general is a pretty awesome community because it's a lot of intelligent, caring people. I think the the game just attracts a certain type of personality. So I am, I am biased. I do think the magic community is great. But, you know, whatever you do, finding something that you're passionate about 
in real life and engaging in that community, I think is just invaluable. It's awesome. I would not be the person I am without magic and without the magic community. Well, and I think magic specifically, one of the reasons it has such a great community is it's a it has so many games within the game, right? It's different than finding, you know, someone who's into chess, like chess is chess. <laughs> but magic is like, okay, you want something more casual, there's EDH, or you want something that's more like brewing, okay, there's that for you as well. You want something that's super competitive, well, there's constructed things. You want something that's different every time, well, there's limited. You want something where you can play with other people, you want two-headed giant, you want team drafts, whatever. Like, there are so many ways to find like that corner of the community, the community within the community, that is where your people are, you know? Absolutely. And I also think because of all these other things we've talked about leading up to this point, magic people tend to approach life, maybe not the same way, but with a similar-ish viewpoint, right? They tend to be willing to lose and know how uh-huh. or why they lost and react appropriately or be analytical about things. And that's just cool getting to connect with people that have a similar skill set to you or approach life in a similar way. There's not a spot for this on this list, but you saying that makes me think that I feel like people in the MTG community and something that magic teaches you is how to take feedback. Like if you're, you know, if you're a member of the Lord's Limited Discord, you have that part of your brain turned on, right? You're someone who wants to say, hey, what's the pick here and have a conversation? Or what's the build? And here's my attempt and people going, I have no idea why you put card XYZ in your deck. And you go, okay, let me take that feedback. And let me, you know, do I want to apply that feedback or whatever? But they're receptive to feedback and constructive criticism in a way that I'm not sure that, you know, the general population necessarily is. Sure. Yeah. I try to teach kids about that all the time. Like the idea of having a growth mindset, like you are going to have a lot of adults like through your band career telling you, here's how you can do this better. Here's how you can do this better. And it's not worth telling you you're not good. It's we're telling you how to get even better and just being receptive to that sort of thing is a huge life skill. All right. Number nine is my my only personal contribution to this list. <laughs> so I added it about five minutes before we decided to record, which I said that magic teaches you, which is I said that magic teaches you how to put yourself in other people's shoes and similarly about empathy. I think one of the biggest edges you can gain in MTG is to try to view the game through your opponent's eyes and their lens and rationalize the decisions they're making, right? So like we've all been in the spot where we're racing, but I, given what's on board, it doesn't make any sense why our opponent is racing. We're trading three damage for two damage, four damage for three damage, whatever. Why are they deciding to race? Okay, well, they're not stupid. Let's operate from that (laughs) viewpoint, right? Because if they're stupid, like you win the game anyway. So it doesn't matter, right? If they're not seeing this, you're going to win the game. So let's view it from, all right, they do know what's happening. They're seeing the same game I'm seeing. What would make me respond this way? What would make me behave this way? Well, if I knew that I had a burst of life gain coming, or if I had a hasty five drop to swing the race in my favor, then I would be behaving in this way. I would be accepting the terms of this trade, right? And it's the same deal with trying to view disagreements or conflict through other people's eyes. Such an important life skill, right? So often I feel like my role in groups, I was on a a Zoom call with my brothers yesterday and I felt like my whole job that time was to be like, okay, so what I'm seeing is (laughs) this one brother saying X, this other brother misinterpreting it and saying Y and we're at an impasse. Is that correct? Like I so often see people miss each other. I'm like, Oh, you said this, you thought they were saying this, and that's why you missed each other. Analyzing that board state, baby. Yeah, I guess that's what it is. Analyzing the board state of life. Yeah, I completely agree. And I I think this is something you do exceptionally well as a Magic player, and that I have lots of room to grow, mostly because I just spend my time looking at Twitch chat instead of thinking about <laughs> what my opponents can have. But I do think this is definitely something that elite magic players do for sure. And it definitely helps in real life. And I think it's one of the reasons you and I get along so well also is that we're both good communicators, I think, because partly, you know, the shared journey we've had in magic. I mean, think about that. You and I are we're complete strangers and are now the best of friends. And I think it's because we had this thing in common and we're very similar because of this thing we had in common. Yes. Yeah. I mean, a a total freak accident of the internet, but I just I couldn't be more grateful and happier about it. 
Last bullet point here, magic taught me what heuristics are and how to apply them in real life. So shout out to LSV. I had no idea what the word heuristic was before LR did an episode on it. Did you know about that? I think I had maybe heard the word and maybe context clues knew, but certainly like hadn't felt it explained so well before that episode. So if you've not listened to that limited resources episode yet, you should check out limited resources episode 335. And that will let you hear LSV explain it instead of me briefly shortcutting (laughs) it here, which is a heuristic. They're essentially mental shortcuts or rules of thumb. And then knowing when to follow the rule of thumb and knowing when to buck the trend and not follow the rule of thumb is a, a super important skill in MTG. You know, maybe LR comes out with an episode on why black is awesome. And so everybody starts drafting black and you're going to buck the trend and you're going to draft blue. I mean, that's not exactly a heuristic, but just knowing that stuff and how you're applying it in real life, I think is a, a great skill. Yeah, I mean, I think a, a heuristic in MTG that I often try and teach in coaching sessions, I try to apply myself all the time is use all your mana, right? The, the player who uses the most mana every turn is going to win that game. That's the heuristic. But often equally as important is knowing when to not do that. When it's like, okay, the most mana efficient thing to do is to play this three drop and this two drop. But neither of these creatures are going to impact the board very well because my opponent has a huge five five in play. So the best thing for me to do is to play this four mana flyer because that's at least an evasive threat that impacts the board in a way. So you're knowing, okay, the heuristic would be, the default would be, to do X, but the, you know, the state of the game dictates that that isn't actually the best play for me to make. Right. Well, and that goes back to your mortgage decision as well, almost right. Like Mm. the the heuristic is to put the 10 K down so that your mortgage payments are lower, but then you also are aware, no, I have this other option of, you know, making my mortgage payments a little higher. And I I think I want to do that because this 10 K as a safety net means a lot to me and my new family as we're getting started out right now, you know? Right. Well, speaking of having a new family, how do you get your kid into MTG? You say you said this would stress you out in our show notes. It would stress me out. I, just having a kid, I think, would stress me out. I, I mean, I hope I am lucky enough someday, but uh, I think I would be an anxious parent. I, I would want my kid to like MTG, but I would also know that I couldn't force it or push it on them. So then I'd be hyper analyzing, well, how do I introduce them to it so that Mm. I maximize the chances that they're going (laughs) to like this thing, you know, like I'd be going all beautiful mind on (laughs) trying to figure out how to get my kid into MTG. Using the the previous 10 bullet points to set yourself up for the best scenario, the 60%, the 65% chance where your kid would be into MTG. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like, what were the things like, like my dad was like super into baseball. And so I like definitely got into like, like he's a huge Yankees fan. And I was like, definitely got into that for like a couple of years in middle school. I was like a big Yankee fan. No um, sports. Ethan Sachs. I've had some blips of sports in my life. I've had some blips, but mostly not. Uh, yeah, but, but that was definitely, definitely one of them. Um, you know, I think it's sort of like ebbs and flows. It's so hard to know. And I think one of the joys of being a parent is like learning, just like having your kid be like, I like this thing. And you go, <laughs> okay, cool. That's awesome. You like something. Like, right? what, yes. like let's, let's do that. Let's figure out what that is. And then, oh, you don't like that anymore. You like something else. Fine. Like, I think that's one of the exciting things. It's so, I think, very funny. I was talking to, uh, we had a, a couple friends over yesterday who have a 12-week-old. And I was like, right now, I'm like so tunneled about like day zero to 30, basically. <laughs> Just like making sure your child doesn't die. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, okay, I got like my my focus right now is like getting the house as set up as possible, being like the best partner to my wife while she's giving birth, and then just like keeping this tiny worm alive. <laughs> <laughs> and then like once I a very healthy attitude, once I know that, but I haven't thought anywhere past that. I'm like, once I know that, like that's, a, I assume that'll get me to about day 30. I'll feel comfortable. I can keep this thing alive. I have no idea what the next things that I'll be focused on will be. And I was like asking them, I was like, do you, I was like, do you know when that shifted slash like, what's the next milestone for you? And that they, they were like, they were like, cause they're at 12 weeks. They were like, Six months is the next milestone because I think like, you know, then they can start to eat solid foods. That's a different thing. Like, I think I don't know when I don't know when they I don't know anything. I don't know when they start to stand up or whatever. And certainly all kids are different. But it's so funny, like this idea of I haven't even thought like that's I think in my head. I'm like, those are like the fun times, like when he's like, you know, old enough to have interests and likes, like hopefully it's magic. But maybe he's like 
doesn't want to be in the family business, you know, and he's <laughs> he's not interested in the, like, oh, that's that boring thing dad does. And I want to do this other thing. And, you know, I'm excited about that. I hope that he's interested in games in some way. That seems, I mean, aren't all kids in some way interested in games? Like, and so if it's not super strategic thing, I don't know, I'll, I'll play, I'll play war with him. You know, I'll play whatever. I'll play Monopoly. I don't care. I just uh, be interested to see what his interests are. That'll be cool. And I think that's a generational shift. Like you are going to be a gaming parent, right? Have you video gamed at all? Like in my life? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Tons, right? Yeah. So like, I feel like there's a divide, like where we grew up, like uh-huh. our generation, our parents were not gamers. Right. Like they weren't sitting down to play N64 with us or whatever, you know, when we got mm-hmm. it under the Christmas tree. Or I do remember with Magic, we had decks that like had mom on the top of it or dad on the top of it. Like <laughs> we had decks for our parents, but that was like, that was break glass in case of emergency. <laughs> like all of the brothers were mad at each other and we were refusing to play with each other. Like our parents didn't play Magic with us very often. And when they did, they didn't really know what they were doing very well, but they would, they would be willing to try to play with us. But like my older brother, for example, or both my older brothers um, have kids and they game with their kids. You know, like my oldest brother will play arena with his girls or, oh, wow. you know, my brother plays Minecraft all the time with with my nephew, that sort of stuff. Like, I feel like that's a generational difference um, in how we grew up to how how your kid's going to grow up. Yeah, that's really true. I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, for sure. I'm like, I'm. that's one of the things I'm like very looking forward to doing, right? I'm like, I'm, I really want that to be a part of our lives, like having like activities we get to participate in together. Yeah, that'll be sweet. I, so if there is a master plot, get your kid in MTG. <laughs> I mean, I, I was trying to think how I would do this. I, I think I wouldn't start with magic because I'd be too nervous. They wouldn't like it. I think I would start with like Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh or something like that. But isn't there then this, you know, your first love, you, you don't, you never, you never forget your first <laughs> love. Isn't there, aren't you nervous that they might just like Pokemon forever and not want to get into magic? Maybe, but at least then they'd be playing like a TCG. I don't know. Okay. I, it's probably your your attitude is probably the right one to have where your kids just going to like stuff and you're supposed to facilitate whatever they like to do. Right. Your, your kids, their own person. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, you have a point here of like you definitely can't force it. I think that's like the ultimate thing. I mean, that that's like you, that, that's harkening thinking about generational stuff that like harkens back to me to just like terrible parenting of the 50s where you're like you're gonna play baseball kid or whatever like (laughs) i can't imagine doing anything like that yeah but it'll just be interesting to see and it's so funny you know if this is what i continue to do and i currently certainly hope it is like get to keep podcasting and and writing and youtubing and all that and coaching and all that stuff um you know will will my kid be like oh that's dad's boring work like is that how like is it possible that that's gonna be the perception of this maybe they're going to come in with a ready-made audience when they start their own stream at age 13. That would be great too. Oh gosh, I haven't even thought. So if I was just talking to my <laughs> wife about this, about like, I was like, I haven't really thought about navigating putting my kid on like social media or on stream. Right. Like my gut is like, I really don't want that. But like, I didn't have to face, my parents didn't have to face that decision. And I didn't have to face any kind of coming to terms with that growing up. Like the pictures of me were in photo albums. They weren't right. on Twitter. Yes. And like, I, you know, I, it has always felt kind of weird to me seeing other people do that. I'm like, if I have like pictures of my kid, I'll share them with like the people that I know and love, but I don't really see why I need to share them with the masses. And I get why people do it. Like, you're so proud of this thing. You're so excited with this thing. You're obsessed with it. You want to share that with people. But there's this like, but they're not signing up for that. And then right. they're not giving consent to be all over the internet. <laughs> exactly. And then like, am I having them on stream? And then it's like, a, oh, streaming with the baby. And I don't know, like I haven't, it's very... Haven't got, like I said, I'm on day zero to 30. That's my head right now. <laughs> I haven't gotten there yet. But I, it's something that I still have questions about. And I haven't even thought about what if they're like, I want to start a Twitch stream. Well, what year do I let them do that? Oh, my do God. I, do that I have be... to be present when that happens? I can't. This is the, the internet is a scary place. The internet is a terrifying place. Yeah. I don't know. You would want to be, I would think, high school? To start a yeah. Twitch stream? I mean, maybe just, maybe, and yeah, just like, no, just no. Just no, just don't do it. Yeah, Twitch maybe just a horrible no. place. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Then do I have to be there? Do I have to like moderate? 
Yeah, that'll be wild. Digital citizenship, baby. Whew. Ugh, yeah, it's a whole, whole whole new world to navigate out there. Have I stressed you out yet? I mean, yes, but no, like, you can't stress me out any more than I already am. Right. <laughs> For sure. All right. Any parting thoughts before we go here? Any message um, you want to send to your unborn child? Oh, my gosh. Um, I love you, buddy. Hope whatever you like to do, we're doing together. There you have it. Great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thanks so much to TCGplayer.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over there for any and all purchases, if you're signing up for a TCG Player subscription to read our articles, please navigate your way over there via our affiliate link at lordsoflimited.com slash TCGplayer. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash lordtupperware. You can check out my son at twitch.tv slash babytups. <laughs> and you can check out Ben at twitch.tv slash mrmetronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter. And you can tweet at the podcast at lordsoflimited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. Lords of Limited.com.